You're listening to City Beat, the weekly podcast from Online Daily, UrbanMilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine. Today we're joined in studio by City of Milwaukee Multimodal Transportation Manager, Michael Amston, and Pedestrian and Bicycle Coordinator, James Hanning. We're going to be discussing the draft Milwaukee Pedestrian Plan. Why does walkability matter? Why do 29% of Wisconsin's crashes involving pedestrians happen in Milwaukee? And what's the law around yielding? We will discuss all that and more. Don't touch the dial, close the app, or hit skip. We'll be right back. Michael and James, welcome to City Beat. Thank you. Good afternoon. Let's talk about a bit why you're here. This draft pedestrian plan, what is it? Uh, so my name is James Hannig. I'm the pedestrian bicycle coordinator for uh, the Department of Public Works. Um, and this is our first citywide pedestrian plan. People listening may know that we have uh, have a long history of uh, bicycle planning at the city. And we our first master bike plan was done in 1993 with a major update in 2010, but there's never been a major uh, citywide pedestrian plan. And when you look at the actual results of having a bike plan, we've seen uh, ridership increase by, um, was it triple, and crashes go down by over uh, 75%. So we, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to be doing this uh, at the city because uh, it's, it's needed. We have, um, um, we, we definitely want to encourage more walking and biking, or, or walking and pedestrian safety. And there, there have been, uh, while we've seen pedestrian crashes decrease since 1997 by over 50%, we've, we've seen an increase in severity of uh, pedestrian-related crashes over the past few years. And we, this plan uh, essentially will help us uh, um, do, do uh, more. All right, well, before we get too deep into the pedestrian plan, I guess why don't each of you take a minute to inter- introduce yourself, tell us who you are, how you ended up at the city. Sure. Uh, so thanks for having us. My name is Mike Amston. I'm the multimodal transportation manager for DPW. Uh, I've been back in Milwaukee now for about, uh, it's coming up on nine months, ten months almost. Uh, previously to uh, my role here, I was with the city of Chicago, uh, the assistant director of transportation planning for the Chicago Department of Transportation, uh, leading their bike and pedestrian programs, planning and design. Came back here, an opportunity came up, this position came up. I'm originally from the Milwaukee area. I uh, went to graduate school at UW-Milwaukee. It was away for 12 years, and uh, I just wanted to, to be back and uh, starting a family and be back to be a part of the excitement happening within the city. Uh, a lot of uh, renewed energy and interest in kind of uh, urban living and, and uh, urban activity, and there's just a ton of opportunity here. So I'm, I'm, I'm passionate personally about uh, urban living and, and you know walking and biking and taking transit, and I just, I just felt like the time was right to be back and be a part of something really exciting happening here. And when you say you're multimodal transportation manager, what does that mean? That's a great question. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's covering kind of all aspects of transportation. So it's really the, the the unit itself was formed two years ago in the city budget, um, and then we've been kind of building capacity since. With you know my position being filled about a year ago now, 
Uh, we've been hiring additional planners and engineers. So it's, it's really the first attempt at some, uh, an arm of transportation planning within the department, uh, working hand in hand with our partners at DCD and other city departments. Uh, but also, obviously, uh, the pedestrian and bicycle program falling within that unit, shared mobility and new mobility, so things like dotless uh, vehicles, uh, scooters, bikes, for example, bike parking, uh, community engagement, um, and then also implementing the complete streets policy kind of as a whole and serving as a liaison for the department to other city departments, city agencies, to ensure that all the work that's happening in the city reflects uh, all the different users of our streets and, and, and neighborhoods throughout the city. All right. And James? So I've been at the city for just a little under two years. Um, before that, um, I, I've essentially a little bit of a transplant to Milwaukee. I uh, went to undergrad at Marquette for civil engineering in 2002 and then uh, urban planning at UWM in 2011. Um, but I, I've been here just as long as I've lived anywhere else. And uh, I, I've worked about 10 years in engineering planning consulting and then uh, a year at the Wisconsin DOT Southeast region before this. And um, I think I'm the third bicycle and pedestrian coordinator at the city. And so, um, you know, I get to um, capitalize on the success of my predecessors. And, and, you know, when I started, it was just myself and another uh, transportation planner. And now we're a, a budding new unit. And it's, uh, it's really exciting. It's an exciting time to be looking at transportation and active transportation in Milwaukee. When you two say you're at the city, you're buried within the Department of Public Works. Maybe you're not buried, but you're, <laughs> you're within the Department of Public Works. So if someone wants to come find you, your office is right there on Broadway. Our, our office is on Broadway, correct. All right. Yeah, hopefully they don't want to come find us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just you're here today thing. because we want to discuss the pedestrian plan, but why it's important right now is there's an open house coming up before anyone can turn off the podcast, tell us a bit about that. When is it? Where is it? Where can people learn more? Absolutely. Uh, and thank you for helping us plug it. Um, so this is actually the second large citywide uh, public meeting for the pedestrian plan. The last one was in October 2018. And essentially, it's at the Mitchell Street Library on um, March 5th at between 4.30 and 7.30. And we're going to have uh, some exciting uh, activities. People will be able to take a look at elements from the plan and essentially uh, do like an interactive street design um, activity with us. And uh, we'll have short presentations at 4.45, 5.45, and 6.45. And it's something that if I want to come and leave a comment or talk to you guys about something, I don't have to come from all of 4.30 to 7.30, right? That is correct. Stop in when you can. It's an open house. Plenty of staff available to help answer questions and take your feedback. All right. Well, let's dive into this 104-page 104 page plan, which is surprisingly <laughs> a tongue twister. My first question, is the plan too long? Uh, I think we think it's just right. All right. Uh, it's the Goldilocks plan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we put a lot of... Um, so we, we essentially had a, an engineering consultant helping us out, tool design group out of Madison with the help of uh, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee under uh, Professor Bob Schneider. So a lot of analysis went in. We had an extensive crash uh, analysis, uh, uh, yielding study, uh, some estimating of uh, pedestrian counts, and then, of course, incorporated uh, the multiple feedback that we've received from uh, the public and various uh, focus groups. I think it's pretty obvious to most people why Milwaukee needs a bicycle plan and that there's there's infrastructure that's largely missing in Milwaukee for bike lanes, and we've seen, I think, over 100 miles now have been striped in the city, dedicated bike lanes, bike you know paths, trails. But a pedestrian plan seems like we have sidewalks everywhere, 
So we don't have sidewalks everywhere, almost <laughs> everywhere. Uh, we'd love to see them everywhere. Uh, essentially, right now, there there's actual and perceived safety concerns um, being a pedestrian on in their streets, and we want to make sure that we're encouraging, you know, safe behaviors and and you know people choosing to walk and enjoying to walk. We want to see our streets as places where people can enjoy not just moving along, but um, using and being being in. I don't like it. Yeah, I would say that it's much more than safety as well. Safety is obviously kind of our number one concern internally, and it's something we focus on on a day-to-day basis. But the plan itself is laid out in a way to really help achieve so many other internal city goals that, that other departments may have around economic activity, around health, around placemaking, around just access to opportunity, but then also partnering with community groups and community members to, to, as James was saying, really look at our streets a little bit differently and kind of reimagine what our streets are. They are, they're a great asset and they're, they're public right of way that can be used for many different things, uh, mostly around pedestrian activity. Um, and, and so we really try and lay that out and talk about streets in a different way and, and, and really try and achieve so many other goals and, and bringing all of those goals together under one plan. You hit on that it's not about safety entirely, and you mentioned health. There were two stats when I was reading the plan that really startled me. One, the average life expectancy for a Milwaukee resident is four years lower than for the state of Wisconsin. And two, Milwaukee represents 10.4% of Wisconsin's population, but 29.1% of Wisconsin's pedestrian crashes. Why are those stats so divergent from Wisconsin's norms? I would say in terms of, you know, pedestrian activity and thinking about our transportation systems, um, you know, I think it's it's every, every neighborhood we go to, every meeting we go to, every person we talk to, reckless driving is a concern. And, and it's not any one neighborhood. It's really citywide. And, and, and I'll fully admit coming back here, it's something that I noticed right away. So I think just looking at those crash numbers. Uh, it, it, it's, it's almost obvious as to why. We do see reckless driving, we see speeding happening, uh, we see people who just can't cross the street or feel safe and comfortable doing so. So you know, that's why safety is, it, it's not the only part, but it is a very important part of the plan to really try and make those numbers uh, not be as uh, disparate as they are right now. I think part of it could be a function of you know, lane miles, and you know, we have, we're the most populous city in the state, and probably have upwards of some of the highest traffic volumes too so you have more opportunities for those interactions um, obviously it's not proportional necessarily to the total population but that could be a factor as well let's talk a bit about the plan going on and if you're following along at home page seven on the numbered plan where are people walking i found this interesting because it it wasn't as connected as i thought it would be and that is you see hot spots in logical spots around uwm around marquette those are people that live largely a campus lifestyle, they don't have a car most likely, or they're going from building to building. Uh, And this data is based on pedestrian crossings at major intersections. And then you see uh, a lot of walking in East Town, but not in West Town. But there's not a lot of connectivity, I guess, between these nodes. Are there thoughts that you guys, part of this plan is making sure that those nodes really get stretched out, that Marquette and downtown become better connected with one another? I think to a degree. I think part of it too is this is probably demonstrating a lot of uh, short trips. So these are high pedestrian activity areas where, you know, when you think of the students going to classes, they probably live very close and are, you know, walking somewhere in the neighborhood of what, half a mile at, at most probably. And, and so again, and this is an estimate too, based on a number of criteria and, and the, the white paper that backs up and provides more analysis will be available online as well. But I, I, I think, 
we certainly want to see more connectivity, but I would say this may not necessarily demonstrate, you know, more of a network type uh, view here. Yeah, yeah I, don't think there, I don't think there's a goal of trying to connect those nodes necessarily, at least not kind of an overarching goal. I think if you look at that map, it's, it's pretty clear as to where some both man-made and uh, non-man-made barriers exist that really kind of break down the pedestrian network. And so there's things we can do to try and bridge or gap some of those uh, or close some of those gaps. Um, but overall, I think there, there's other parts of the city that just in general, looking at land use, looking at density, that you know we'd, we'd like to see more walking happening overall. Uh, if it connects some of those high walking areas, that's great, but that's not necessarily an, an inherent goal of the plan. Well, one of the things that really surprised me, shifting focus to page 18, uh, was the locations of crashes, because the locations of crashes does not match the location of, of where the most pedestrians are, which I guess having seen much of the city, having traveled up and down Fond du Lac Avenue regularly, that somewhat doesn't surprise me based on the behavior I've seen. But at the same time, there's so infrequently I see people crossing, and yet they're reporting really high rates of people actually getting hurt. Is, is that something that surprised you guys? I think to a degree, yes and no. Um, I would say, and you'll, you'll see throughout the plan that we, we definitely identify speed as a major contributor to especially the severity of crashes. Uh, and some of the areas you see on that map on page 18 are, are some of the higher speed facilities. Uh, and so then it's that mix of essentially how many uh, you know what the pedestrian activity is and the speeds potentially. Like and I think something else to just kind of touch on with this plan, what I think was was really great about it, is it it did a uh, a, a pretty solid job of estimating exposure or what we would or what you know a lot of people would think of as you know where are people walking and uh, and kind of relating that to the number of crashes. So even though uh, the number of crashes might be lower in some spots. Uh, if that's occurring in a location where the number of people walking is lower, the likelihood of a crash occurring is actually much higher. So really kind of trying to take into that, that, that the, the number of people walking is a really you know, great way to kind of look at where our crash problems actually are. All right. Well, you, James, you hit on speed being an issue. Uh, some clarity on that. When you say speed, do you mean the posted speed limit or do you mean the speed that people are actually driving and how it relates to like enforcement and street design? That is a good question. I mean, speed is documented as a major factor in terms of uh, severity of a crash. If you looked on uh, page 23, there's a really good graphic of some previous research that shows, you know, how at 20 miles per hour, a person's likelihood of um, surviving a crash uh, is 13%, but at 40 miles per hour, it's uh, only uh, 73% likelihood. I flipped it. Wrong uh, sorry, I flipped it. <laughs> my bad. Um, but so I, I guess um, I don't know, Mike. If you have any, no, I, I would say that. It, I mean, it's you know, we can put up a sign, and we know that people will not necessarily follow the speed limit of that sign. Right. So it, it's that it's we as part of this plan, we also looked at speed, um, uh, not posted speed, but just how fast people are actually driving on these streets. And you know we know that people are driving very fast on several streets, well over 50 miles per hour on, on some of these streets, which uh, in an urban environment is just far too fast with the amount of activity happening. Uh, so there is, there's many ways to address that. You touched on street design and enforcement, and it's it's no one size fits all approach. But you know it's it is street design. Um, you know people will drive as fast as a street 
makes them feel comfortable driving. So things like lane widths, things like number of lanes, uh, what you have on your sidewalks, where your buildings are placed, all go into kind of that level of comfort of driving fast. And we know that wider streets with more lanes, with buildings set back far from the, the lot lines, they tend to have higher speed traffic. And if you mix that with pedestrian activity, as is the case throughout Milwaukee, that can lead to, to crashes happening. So does the plan envision a specific area or specific development style that gets updated first? Is it the 76th Street type streets that are going to get addressed first, or is it Wisconsin Avenue? So not necessarily any specific uh, corridors or streets, but we do identify a high injury network, which is a, an industry uh, identified term in terms of how you can prioritize streets and identify streets that are uh, more susceptible or, or having a lot of history of, of uh, crashes involving pedestrians. So those are definitely areas we'll be taking a close look at, seeking different uh, funding opportunities to see where we can maybe have some um, focused improvements. Uh, both infrastructure and otherwise. And I would say that uh, another part of the plan is the toolbox as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's at the back of the plan itself. And we looked at kind of some example intersections uh, that are commonly found throughout Milwaukee and identified ways that they could be addressed. So using that toolbox as uh, that you know, as a community member, that can be used, and when you're when you're talking to your your alder, or when you're talking with your community group for possible improvements, but then also on our end, the designers, project managers, engineers, consultants who are doing the work, using that, uh, and it's 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 you know it's nothing new. It's it's kind of well documented at this point, and some really great national guidance. But you know, really trying to figure out you know based on a street context, you know, what is the best design? How do we slow speeds and prevent crashes? And I think you hit on an important thing there. I mentioned before the plan was 104 pages long. Somewhere around like page 60, it all of a sudden became a lot of really pretty pictures, <laughs> kind of illustrating how streets could be redesigned. Uh, one of them uh, par particularly stood out to me, and it's something I've seen used in Chicago and a couple other cities. Page 34 hits on rapid, rapid implementation projects, and it kind of shows building some curb bump outs or bulb outs. Uh, just using little plastic bollards. Is there a street in Milwaukee you're particularly interested in trying that on? And maybe talk about what that means. Sure. So yeah, so what we call rapid implementation projects, like you said, is becoming fairly common throughout the U.S. at this point. I think New York City is kind of the, the poster child of first doing this. But it's really, you know, these improvements that we're talking about, they're, they're small-scale improvements. We're not talking about major reconstruction projects, but oftentimes it's hard to find that money. You know, if you're putting in a curb extension or a bump out, if you have to move a drainage inlet, that can blow your budget and, and make it cost a lot more than one would think. So instead of trying to find that capital money up front, getting creative and using flexible materials like paint and, and, and flexible delineators and trying things out and seeing how they work and working with community partners to, to really come up with a design and a solution that works well for that particular location. Uh, and you can get a little bit more creative. You know, some cities have used colored pavement, uh, sometimes even designs in the pavement. Uh, sometimes you have planters instead of flexible delineators. You know, that's all dependent on community partnerships, but it is a great way to really kind of show proof of concept and trying things out before you invest a lot of money into actually changing the curb lines on the street. And I think um, a good example would be uh, Locust Street and North Avenue, the recent uh, road diets that we did over the Milwaukee River on those bridges. Uh, to a degree, those were rapid implementation using cost-effective uh, materials and, and a way to kind of take a look at how uh, the, the improvement is sort of initially taking. 
what's your takeaway when you hit on those bike lanes? And I, I've biked over them. I walk over the streets. Even nicer to walk over now, walking over the two bridges. Has it been a success? What's the takeaway if the bollards keep getting knocked down? Is this just an education thing? Is it an enforcement thing? Yep, uh, it's absolutely a success. We have uh, initial data showing that uh, biking has uh, increased 70% in the neighborhood, and uh, speeding has already gone down. I don't remember the stat right now. Maybe that was substantially. Yeah, it, it's available. Yeah, we have um, it online. But there's definitely you know some learning. Uh, we're we're exploring other potential ways of delineating and, and making it more comfortable and and reducing that maintenance cost but it's 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 a learning process and it's already you know, being well received by by the community which is fantastic well let's talk about some other tools that are in the toolbox you mentioned the toolbox on page 60 of a, a long list are there any in particular you really think are perfect things that could be implemented so a lot of these we're doing already. Um, so it's it's really kind of showing how they can all come together. I think we're really excited about that rapid rapid implementation concept. I think you know just knowing that, you know, we don't have a large influx of money in the city. Uh, this is a great way to really show proof of concept. Uh, a lot of the signal uh, recommendations we're doing, uh, you know, I think lane widths and road diets are something that I think again, kind of using the existing street space that we have and just reimagining how it's used, looking at the amount of traffic, car traffic, the amount of bike traffic, the amount of pedestrian activity, and, and really, you know, kind of just changing the way that we've done things in the past and reallocating space to make sure that that street really is serving all the different variety of people out using the street. I think those two, just we have a ton of opportunity. We, again, we've been doing a lot of that in the past, but really trying to just be more uh, uh, proactive in doing some of this work. And do those, like you mentioned, road diets where, you know, lanes might be reduced or narrowed or reconfigured, do those projects come about all on their own or is it something that happens as the street's being rebuilt? I'd say a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do, uh, within the city now, we, we do a lot of what we call high-impact paving where we're just kind of resurfacing the, the, the top layer of the street, and that's a great opportunity to, to not only ensure that the pavement's fresh, but the lane markings uh, uh, represent, you know, what that street should be. Um, so there's that opportunity. We also have the opportunity, uh, you know, when we get requests from an alder or from a community member to really look at, you know, perhaps an issue in their neighborhood. Uh, in the past, we've used that as an opportunity. And then proactively, we do have, uh, you know, uh, we have our bike plan, uh, looking at the pedestrian plan and the high injury network. We'd, we'd like to think that we'll be able to address some of these streets uh, proactively as well. And I would say that's really in the spirit of Complete Streets too, with the new Complete Streets policy and, and just, you know, building this culture of rethinking how the streets are serving the communities and, and sensitive to the surrounding context of the neighborhoods. All right. Well, there's there's something on page 26. I'm going to give you my feedback right now before the open house. <laughs> All right. Uh, page 66 is about right turn lane redesigns. Uh, they're called slip lanes. I like to call them pork chops for the shape that is kind of left on the island. But can we put this as like item A1, let's remove, remove all of these across the entire city. And I have one you can start with. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear uh, it. The BMO Tower being built right across the street from City Hall on Water Street. There's one there that just seems totally out of context with the way downtown is. It kind of encourages you to speed up and turn east onto Wells, which just seems ridiculous because that's one of those intersections that has a high pedestrian count. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say that's, you know, I, I was trying to scan the list of improvements when you were talking about it before, and I didn't see that. That's definitely, you know, you know hands down, something that, we, again, we've been doing. Uh, we've done it at, at, at a handful of locations already. Uh, you, you mentioned the BMO Harris Tower. There's That's a location where we'll be removing a slip line there as well. So, you know, you'll, you'll have All that right, for I'm going to take that. <laughs> um, but then we also just received federal uh, TAP funding, Transportation Alternatives Program, 
um, uh, to remove uh, eight or 10 slip lanes throughout the city at locations where we have high pedestrian activity as well as high transit use. Uh, so we'd, we'd agree completely. And then also just touching on what we were talking about previously, I think it may even be shown in the plan. That's another great opportunity to do something like that through a rapid implementation project that doesn't have to just always be concrete going in right away. It can be done kind of quick and inexpensive as yeah, well. Yeah, I must admit during the River West 24, we were talking about it before we got on air. I've considered going out and buying some plungers and maybe reconfiguring some lanes in the middle. Um, <laughs> Tactical so, urbanism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if that happens this year, it wasn't me. Don't look at me. <laughs> Uh, but let's talk, I guess, a bit about how the state factors into this. So much of Wisconsin's uh, roadways and the city's ability to control its own destiny is controlled by the state. Uh, how does that impact this plan? So I'd say that the state's a huge partner, and obviously there's a new administration, so uh, we'll see how things play out. I think we're, we're optimistic. Um, we do receive a lot of the work we do, uh, not only within the multimodal unit, but obviously as a department, is state or federal funding. Uh, so we, you know, we work very closely with the state in all of our work. We've been... Uh, you know, just in my short time, we've been incredibly successful in receiving state and federal grants for pedestrian and bike improvement projects. And I'd like to think that that's going to continue. And now that we have a plan, we'll be able to, you know, really focus our energy and our grant applications on, on areas that we know absolutely need those improvements. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll always have to partner with the state and go through the state depending on the funding. But it's, it's been, uh, I think it's been improving and I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't continue. Well, I want to talk before we're, we only got a couple minutes left. There's a low effort and a high effort, kind of different versions of plans at the end. What is the difference there when we talk about cost, when we talk about time? Uh, I guess walk me through when I'm looking at page 80, West Burley and North 27th Street. Looks like there's like a high visibility crosswalk is envisioned as a low effort thing. And then, you know, we get to bus bump outs for boarding buses and stuff on a more expensive effort. I think you nailed it on the head there. I mean, um, it, it is a, f a function of cost and, and time to a degree. I think you could kind of roughly uh, say that the uh, rapid implementation type option is the low effort in some cases. And, and then as you know, being able to monitor sort of the before and after effects of, of that treatment, then you can start kind of preparing and, and seeing if a more permanent um, sort of high effort uh, improvement it would work or is needed. So I think this is just showing how you can even still do some, some low-hanging fruit, start really focusing on pedestrian safety, and then, you know, looking for that sort of fully built-out version. Yeah. So in a nutshell, moving curb versus yeah. paint. All right. <laughs> well, let's assume the open house goes well, and I'm still encouraging people to attend it, but it, let's assume everyone loves the plan. What happens next? Then it gets uh, adopted, hopefully. So uh, we'll take the feedback from uh, the, ne the next meeting and uh, make sure that we're incorporating it and, and really uh, revising it as needed. And then uh, we'll, we'll be working with our elected officials and, and hopefully moving it through Common Council for adoption. And then we can start implementing it. All right, 20 seconds. Do you have an underrated restaurant or bar that we should be checking out? Man, I'm, I'm new to the city with a 10-month-old, so my, my, my days of going out to a bar or restaurant are slim. I'm a big pizza guy. Uh, I'd say uh, Foltz's Pizza in the Market, it's my go-to. All right. James? I'll say uh, Taco Loco at uh, El Rey on Cesar Chavez. All right. Well, Mike Amsden and James Hannig from the City of Milwaukee's Department of Public Works, thanks for joining us on City Beat. You can learn more about the pedestrian plan on urbanmilwaukee.com or I'm sure at milwaukee.gov somewhere. There's an open house March 5th at the historic Mitchell Library. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to everyone next week.